ESPN LA, Kamenetsky Brothers, uh, Lakers podcast. Andy? What the hell is so funny, Brian? Oh, round. Round is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's over. The 27, 2017-2018 season is officially over. Um, and it's over in early April, like the last few have been. But this one feels a little different. Like, you know, the Lakers finish at 35 and 47. Uh, it's a nine game improvement over last year. And that's despite the fact that they competed a lot over the last three months without either Lonzo Ball, without Brandon Ingram, without Kyle Kuzma, or down the stretch, all three of them. And Isaiah Thomas only played what, like nine games with this team? Something like that. Not a lot. And then when he played, he was sort of half rehabbing and he wasn't all that great anyway. Um, and then he got hurt. So, um, we'll, we're going to go through that. We'll, we'll talk about the, uh, obviously the, the, the 2018, 27, 2018 season. Reflect on that a little bit. Uh, we'll get into some of the key players, what we think, how we think management did. We'll also take a look at the playoffs, um, and what we plan, uh, what we think will happen there. Uh, it is the, this week was the fifth anniversary of the Kobe free throws mm-hmm. and the second anniversary of the 60 point game. Yeah, you're right. So we'll, we'll take a quick look at just sort of Kobe moments, kind of compare them since so much is happening. And as Rob Palinka noted in his exit interview, uh, this afternoon on Friday in El Segundo, uh, he has a new show coming out. Yes. That was actually my, one of my favorite moments of exit interviews. It's not going to get a lot of play is when Palinka stopped to essentially plug Kobe's show. And and we, by the way, I was going to say we should be good company men and let you know that it is specifically on ESPN Plus. Right, the new app. The new app, um, and you should check it out. It is Kobe breaking down, for the time being, uh, his own game film, but who knows if he's going to start breaking right. down Which game actually, film of other people. Which actually, I, I kind of wish he was doing that while he played. I will watch that. I would watch it more if it was the snake from Muse Cage that was breaking down the game film. <laughs> that is actually I would some, watch that. I, that is actually something, Kobe breaking down his game film that when he was an active player, we attempted, like when we were talking about pitch, you know, like different pitches and, you know, different ideas within the dot com, like to try to do something like that. And it never would have flown then. No, but I mean, geez, he's so good at that kind of stuff. So I mean, if you want to learn like what guys are thinking and all that, it actually is worth checking out, but it was phenomenal when Polinka stopped to point it out. Um, anyway, so we'll get to all that, (coughs) a couple other things. Um, over the course of the show. So 35 and 47. Let's, let's look 30,000 feet, big picture. Was this a successful year? Yes. I agree. I think it was a completely successful season. Like obviously by the standards of the Lakers franchise, no, this is not how the Lakers define success. Right, but there was but we also, that was a literally not a choice. But, I mean, but so we live in, well, I was going to say, but we live in a real world. Right. And in the real world, when you take a look at what the Lakers are trying to do to get themselves back to that standard, they took some big steps towards that today. They have a legitimate foundation of good young players, whether you're talking about the rookies this year, we'll get into them specifically, the steps that Brandon Ingram took this year where he looks like he legitimately could be it, I don't mean just an all, you know, an all-star caliber player, you know, maybe even a little bit better than that. Julius Randle took major steps forward. Luke Walton, I think to, took a lot of steps towards solidifying confidence in him as a young head coach, and all in all, Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka as the heads of of new front office, their first time out for both of them, 
I thought brought a lot of positives to the table too and a lot of reassurances. Yeah. I know for people like me who I was very openly, outwardly concerned about this much collective inexperience running the organization and all in all, I liked what I saw. Yeah, so I mean I think if you break I, I completely agree with you. I think if you break it down into you go back to where we were last summer, what were the priorities of the team coming in this year? You could probably put it in three big categories. It's the it's the 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 um progress of the young players, you know, from rookies up through like Randall and those guys. The establishment of the front office is legitimate and competent and the the change of perception of the team around the league. And I I agree with you. I think they accomplished all three of those things. It's not perfect. You know, the younger guys, you know, Lonzo could have been on the floor a little bit more and, and we kind of get into some of that now. Um, it's not good enough. I mean, that would right. be the best way to say sure. it is. It's not it wasn't, good it enough. It wasn't perfect. But the way I was putting it, John and I, were, Ireland and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week on the air. I was filling in for Steve. If you looked at, like, the young players, and now you can throw Hart in there. So Kuzma, Randall, uh, Ingram, Lonzo. Hart. Hart. If you look at those guys, in some ways... Lonzo was, I don't, I don't think a lot of people would argue, Lonzo was the most disappointing. Yes. Relative to expectations. Yes. And then relative to certain things like the shooting and then he only played, really, 52, 52 games, I yeah, think is he what missed it, 30, 30 games, games this year. So, and Lonzo, but if you actually look at what he did, his season wasn't a disaster. It's a, it's a lot like the way we talk about Brandon Ingram last year. Because last year, a lot of people nationally, we're very down on Brandon Ingram, and you and I, as people who both cover the team and in particular did post-game and pre-game all last year, we would constantly beat the drum of, you have to watch Ingram play. If you're just judging by his stats and judging by his per, you're going to think that he's a major disappointment. But if you watch him on the court as a kid who, at the time, what was he, just turned 19? I believe so. That was also his weight. Right. I mean, you know, as a as an skinny kid who just turned 19 after one year at Duke and you watch like three or four times a game, there will be something he would do where you would say he shouldn't know to do that. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you could see the potential. Lonzo, you know, has better stats I was about than to say, Ingram. That's about to say is like even with that, the you know, you can look at Lonzo's numbers and divorce yourself from, you know, Ingram you really had to see him. You yes. had to watch him play because the numbers were terrible. Um, you know, certainly, you know, number two until like the last behind. couple months of the, of and the even season. then, there was still like, you know, they weren't amazing. They were just a lot better. Lonzo had Lonzo. I mean, I'm, let me put pull the numbers up. Unless you have them, in front I, of I do happen to have them. In so, front what of. were his averages this year? Uh, he averaged ten points. I'm rounding up and ten points a game, seven rebounds, seven assists, uh, nearly two steals a game. Okay. And I don't have the blocks in front of me, but I'm guessing it's at least like a uh, block and a half. Are, it's, it's over a block a game. Okay. So somewhere between a block and a block and a half from your point guard. Rookie. Yes. That's good. Yes, it is. That's, you know, as, 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 as Rob pointed out today, and I think we're, we're close enough now. Average, I'm sorry, about a block a game. Um, you know, Palinka pointed out he almost kind of almost averaged a triple double. And that's with missing the game. That's pushing it. It's pushing. That's pushing. Right. It's generous. That's that's a very uh, Polinka sunshine way of right. framing things. It's a generous way of putting it. But if he had shot a you know forty one percent, and so his averages were thirty six from the field. Right, and that was really floated by the two weeks where he shot like eighty percent because the rest of the time it yes. was really bad. 
Um, and if you say, okay, that bumps his averages and, you know, 38, 39% is not good. No, it's not good enough, but it's not, but it's, it's, it's like what rookies do. It's Dennis Smith. It's Deon, it's De'Aaron Fox and all that. And you say, okay, Lonzo averages 14, seven and seven as the rookie point guard for the Lakers. All we'd be focused on is, Ooh, I hope he can stay healthy because, man, those are some really good numbers. The, the thing with Lonzo, though, and I mean, and it's sort of fitting because he entered the league with a lot of uh, a lot of polarization purely through his father. I mean, it really had nothing to do with Lonzo. But it's fitting that Lonzo's highs and his lows come to you in just extremes. Like what he does really well, Lonzo, is it, it jumps out right at you, and it's on the upper echelon of what you'd expect. You know, he, he could be, if he's not already, one of the best rebounding guards in the league. He could be, if he's not already, one of the best defensive guards in the league, which nobody's getting there. Coming. I mean, I don't, I, at the very least, he is progress I, seen, in that regard. I'll tell you is, this, I've seen some metrics. So much that further put, ahead. I, I put, I've seen some metrics that put him there. Yeah, he's so much and further ahead. And the passing ahead. is, uh, as advertised. But the things that weren't good this year, the amount of games missed, you know, the shooting and scoring, however you would go about putting points on the board, those come across in in extremes as well. And by the way, it gets magnified by his unorthodox shooting style, right. which is extreme. In and they spent a lot of time. They spent a lot of time talking about that. And I, I and it, it's an interesting little side thing with Lonzo. Like, what do you do about his shooting? And you know, first thing is first is they spent a lot of time. Magic and Palinka did talking about his body. Mm-hmm. Like, he's got to get stronger. He can't play fifty games next year. Said the same thing about Ingram. Ingram missed some games in part because of a concussion. So, but I'm yeah. not as worried about Ingram though because Ingram played almost played, an entire year. He played last 79. Year. So I'm not, I'm not worried about Ingram. Right. So, but, but but with Lonzo, you know, they talked about the shooting and they talked about you know getting bigger, getting stronger. If he can do those things, he'll be more confident around the rim. He'll be more confident taking contact and all that. The you know, as much as we focus on the three point shooting, I, I think if if I had to choose, you know, I, I'd almost say I'd. I'd rather him become a 75% free throw shooter and still be kind of a work in progress from the three point line. Because if he can make himself confident shooting free throws, he'll attack the rack more. He'll, he'll take contact. By the second half of, of his season, it was pretty clear he was spooked about getting fouled. He didn't want to fix that and, you know, some of the offensive issues. Go away. So, you know, Ben Simmons has shown you can be really effective as a guard, even if you're not necessarily a three point threat. He's just got to be able to, he's got to be able to represent consistent offense somehow. I mean, whether it's outside shooting and he's not great at finishing or whether it's he can get to the hole, he can take that contact and actually sink free throws. One or the other, because otherwise his potential ceiling is basically Ricky Rubio. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this a lot. Like Ricky Rubio does a lot of things really well and they're basically the same things Lonzo currently does. Right. And he's a really really good player. He is a really good player. But he's not nobody considers Ricky Rubio elite. Right. He's not a transformational player, which some people thought he might have been when he entered the the league. And, you know, Rubio has shown this season and he's having a career year, which helps. But Rubio has shown that he can take a team and put them in the upper end of the Western Conference playoffs. Like there, there are some thoughts that Utah could go, you know, a round or two in the playoffs. They're way ahead of expectations 
this year after losing Gordon Hayward, and that is in part because of the play of Ricky Rubio. But you don't put Rubio on the cover of the media guide, right? And you and you don't want you don't want that ceiling there for Lonzo. Right. And so, so that's the concern. It's okay if he comes back next year and he only fixes one of those problems that he's not a complete player by year two that who can finish at the rim and hit his threes and all these other things. He's, but he's, you got to show progress in one area or another. And, and to their credit, Magic and Palinka were both like, and Magic was very, uh, hammered this home, point home, I thought a lot that he needs to be more selfish about his own offense. And to do that, he needs to be more willing. <laughs> he needs to be more willing and he needs to have more, more confidence, confidence yeah. in it. And yep. so they're not going to redo his shot. They're going to, to try to nail down. And I know this is something you've harped on through a lot of the season. They're going to try to nail. This is more just news. They're going to nail down. The consistency of what he does. Make sure he's on balance. If you're going to shoot time. weird, shoot, shoot weird, weird the same, same way every, time. every single time. And I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think that's fine. Um, but so it's interesting that Lonzo, when you break it down, had a pretty good year when he played and you can see the potential. He's not going to suck. Um, it was both promising and disappointing, disappointing at the, same, at the time. same time. And he was the worst guy. Yeah. Ingram, I, I, in some ways, and we're going to get to this, I know this is one of the questions you had in terms of like how much did it hurt that these guys weren't on the floor. Ingram, I think, at the end of the year, I mean, I think Ingram made his point. Like everybody by the middle of the year could see what Ingram was. I think that, I think the game where he went toe to toe, that home game that was on national TV against the Warriors, where he went toe to toe with Durant and afterwards KD was praising him and the numbers were there and all this stuff. I, Ingram, I think, has shown people what he is. Um, ten, ga- 10 games in February, Ingram averaged almost 19 points a game with five rebounds, five assists, and a block per game, uh, shooting 54.5% from the field, right. 52%, 52% from three, which isn't sustainable, but you lock that down Fine. You know, 10%. 45, 42, that's really good. What I loved about it was he didn't... He didn't stand there and just start being like, "Ooh, they're starting to go in, so I'm going to take more." Nope. Of the-. He was he only took I think two and a half a game over yep. that stretch, right? Yep. And so he was judicious about how he took them, but when he took them, he made them, and he never stopped attacking the rim in the process. That you know, he started off the season pretty good, and you could say, "Ooh, he got better," and he he just made this leap about halfway through the same way he kind of did last year. And so the Except talent is quicker there. and better, quicker and better. And the talent is there where you think, OK, something else. Is I, I'm telling I am so on board with this. And, and, you know, you and I have been on board. Yeah, I was never be- off. Board yeah. You and I have been on since the beginning. Like, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Brandon Ingram has all star caliber talent. Like, whether, make an all star. But I mean, but even if he doesn't like there are sometimes, you know, no, I, on, I, I know what you're saying. I know you're going to the Mike Conley thing where it's hard to make all star teams. You are an all star caliber guy. Brandon Ingram will make I happen all-star to think, teams. I happen to think he will, too. But what really matters is if, if he's a guy that every year you're wondering, how the hell is he not on the all-star team? That's fine. That Exactly. It's like it's like what used to go on with Damian Lillard before right. he eventually Which, by the way, him. was to the benefit of the Blazers because every year that Lillard wasn't on the all-star team, he would spend the last six weeks of the season torching everyone because yeah. he was so pissed. Right. So, I mean, so if that's what they do to Ingram, yeah, fine. Whatever. But the point being, though, I think Brandon Ingram will be an – at minimum, a all-star caliber talent. Yeah, no and that, question. And that that is good enough to, in my mind, to be considered an all-star. And so then, you know, you get, you know, Randall was obviously excellent over the second half of the season. Um, you know, Kuzma played, I think, beyond expectations. And my favorite part of the season was that last bit where 
he was the focal point of of a scouting report against teams trying to make the playoffs when they didn't have Lonzo. When they didn't, didn't have, have Lonzo, Ingram. didn't have Ingram on the floor and whatever. And Kuzma still was putting up twenty points a game more efficiently than he did in the middle of the season. And that, re- as somebody who kind of pumped the brakes on the Kuzma thing early, saying you know this is a league where they adjust, they adjusted to him. He said so much where. You know, Kyle, what's going on right now? You're shooting 33% since Christmas. Yeah, people are guarding me now. He adjusted back and figured out how to, what that Which is part of the really season, hard to do as a rookie. No question. And that makes me go, ooh, okay, you know what? Some of this potential all-star talk, whatever it might be, there's some legitimacy to it. Yeah. And, and, and so and I, I, I was, I may have undersold it. And, and Kuzma has to work on bringing out the all-around game that, you know, Brandon Ingram has right now. Like, no question. Uh, it was either Magic or Palenka. I don't remember which one but said that Ingram's their most versatile player, and I would agree. But you started seeing over the course of this year Kuzma doing more than just scoring. He rebounds very well. You know, he was second in the league behind Ben Simmons for double-doubles among rookies. And he's also part of the reason, too. And this was something that I think was a credit to the Lakers all year and speaks to the personnel that they have. And, you know, if Randall ends up re-signing, they'll continue to have. The rebounding that they get from Lonzo, from Josh Hart, who we're going to get to, from Kyle Kuzma, from Randall, yeah, from Ingram, rebounding is su- is such an important skill that can allow it can allow a team that is still learning how to play and learning how to stay in the games. It can it can help them paper over some mistakes, and they've been one of the best rebounding teams in the league all season, despite the fact that their center is one of the worst rebounding right. centers in basketball history. Right, you're referring to Brooke Lopez, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but that's that speaks to. That speaks to something that they're going to have as a team. Like, that's not going to go away. No. That's not an outlier. And so, <coughs> excuse me, I was talking to Amin Al-Hassan. I'm just kind of BSing uh, one day. He's, you know, he's at the station all the time. And he made the comparison that was, inter- I thought, an interesting one for Kuzma, which was Antoine Jameson. Yeah. Um, a guy who made, I think, two all-star teams. Yes, he did. At least one. He um, made two. And, you know, at, at, you know, he was a flawed player. I mean, never played a lick of defense. He was once. Kuzma may already be a better defender than Antoine I Jameson. I may be a better defender. And Kuzma's than not a very good He's defender. He's not at all. Um, Antoine Jameson was described to me by Dan D'Antoni once <laughs> as high assed like a flamingo, <laughs> which is the single greatest thing a coach has ever told me and a phenomenal description, actually, though, of why Jameson couldn't play defense because of all the animals in the animal kingdom, if you kind of figure out, like, there's no way a flamingo can play good no, defense nope. with, with its butt up there like that, and it can't get down. No, there's never been in the history of the NBA a flamingo that's made all defense. Never. Never. There's a reason. <laughs> High-assed like a flamingo. And so um that's why he was bad. But what Amin uh, pointed out, and I thought it was a really good observation from, like, a scouting report standpoint, like, Jameson was, you know, if he's the best player on your team, you're not going to have a very good team. No, we'd seen teams with Antoine Jameson. And they weren't as very the good. Player. They weren't great. But if you don't treat him in the scouting report like a guy who will light your ass up, then you're his high ass will light you're right. you up. You got a problem. His and high so ass flamingo ass will light you. If up. If you have two or three other players who are actually better than 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 he is, which is what happened when they, I guess, the couple times he was on a good team. Um, then, Dallas and with the uh, with the Wizards, right? He was always capable of lighting you up. So you had to treat him with the respect of an of an A list scorer, which is a complicated. So even if Kuzma never develops into a truly well rounded player, and and that's his one skill, if he's good enough at the other stuff, if he's a a a a 
net neutral defender, then that is an, um, that's a great, that's a great thing, particularly Here, at 27. Here's a comp I would actually give right now, and I think Jameson is a good one. From the animal kingdom or basketball? From the basketball <laughs> kingdom, but, but this one, this is one that I think, you know, Laker fans in particular may get. If Kuzma doesn't develop like a really well-rounded skill set, but he keeps just becoming better and better at the scoring that he does, and he is a guy with a lot of tricks in that bag. He can score a lot of different ways. He's got exceptional footwork for a kid of his inexperience. He becomes a rich man, Jordan Clarkson. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, that, and that's a good thing to well, have. I, I know we live in a world with analytics and all that kind of stuff where we're much better at recognizing value that mm-hmm. scoring is not the only thing that matters a guy who puts up 22 points a game 23 points a game we you know in the in 15 years ago you look at that guy well that guy's obviously awesome he scores 23 points a game no you can still be a a real drag on your team and score but that said scoring the basketball is a really valuable thing mm-hmm. and to have a guy who can do it efficiently in a lot of ways and all that will always have value and so I think Kuzma in that way uh, has shown himself to be great. And the other guy, you know, that I think blew away expectations by the, when, once he got to start playing was Josh Hart. Love Josh Hart. Love the season that he had. I I think actually the Lakers' defensive identity and they and they improved their defense vastly from last year. I mean, the Lakers twelfth. The Lakers were probably about. Six wins away, you know, really because of injury, I think six or seven wins away from their defense propelling Luke Walton to coach of the year conversations. Possibly. Because I, because if you, yeah, they finished 12th this year. If you look at the defense last year and where they are this year while adding nobody other than maybe KCP who you would look at and say, okay, that guy's going to improve your defense. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, relative to the year before, you look at Lopez, who's an underrated sort of position. But, but, but Brooke like, Lopez but, doesn't make you go, okay, defensive problems. Right. Solved. He's not, you know, he's Rudy Gobert. Hell, he's not Robin Lopez. I mean, forget <laughs> Brooke. You know, but you know what I'm saying? He's, like, he's somewhere between Rudy. Yeah. And Rudy Gobert. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the defense, though, that, that improved so much this year, I think really took on that identity, maybe, what was it, like eight games in, nine games in, when Luke Walden, I think, su- surprised to himself, decided to play Josh Hart because th- whatever was happening in that game wasn't going well and he wanted like a spark. Josh Hart played his ass off mm-hmm. on both sides of the court. I remember there there was a uh, sequence in that game where he got switched onto a legit big and that big could not move him. Yeah, that was a, you know, that was one of those things that, and Hart, and this never, is why, and Hart never left the rotation. And this again. is why the positional thing it makes a difference because people have talked about, you know, you're starting backcourt next year, Lonzo, Josh Hart, next to Brandon Inger, whatever. And none of it really matters, I think, because ultimately you're, you're looking at a one through three, depending on who they sign or whatever, of Hart, Ingram, and, and Lonzo. And I think functionally in that group, you'll probably see Hart playing the role of small forward more than than BI at least or or as much because we saw it over and over again teams would try to cross match with Hart and whatever who's not you know he's 65 I think he's yeah. not overwhelmingly tall guys would try to post him up like forwards guards I mean couldn't do it. Like he is not high assed like a flamingo. No, he is low assed like a badger <laughs> or a wolverine. You know? <laughs> this is a this is a, a whole podcast on itself. Where where on this animal 
is its butt located like, and how good a defender? Right. Is. How good? How good a defender would it be? Because like, first of all, I never really thought of flamingos as having a butt. I like, have. Like, I have it, my daughter is like, she's seven she's fascinated by flamingos and one of the reasons I think it is because she thinks their legs and butt are funny they are like but like you're right I mean its butt is eight feet off the ground yeah. at the same level of but it's, its, it's a bad leverage point it's, you're not going to defend well no uh, <laughs> I mean really you can't you can't get down I mean plus t- yeah I mean and plus you really need to get down if you're a flamingo because look at those legs yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's, and Jameson imper- kind of had skinny legs. I'm just saying it's imperative that you get low if you're a flamingo <laughs> trying to play defense. Like, if, if you're, and plus their knees bend back. Yeah, I mean, if, that can't be good. if you're upright as a flamingo, you're dead. Yeah. Um, so, but Josh Hart, though, he is a real, you can tell that he spent four years at a school like Villanova because yes. his instincts for no a question. rookie are so good. I think, and he's confident too. He is I, a confident kid. And what I loved about his exit interview on Thursday was there, there were a few things. I mean, like because we we're trying to figure out like, okay, what's the comp? Who's he like? Whatever. He's not. He's not going to be a star, like a star star. I don't think. But he's one of the. He's clearly one of those dudes who can play a critical role on a really good team. Like mm-hmm. having him on a like. San Antonio would love Josh Hart. They'd love him. You know, Brad Stevens would love Josh Hart. Like those are teams he could walk onto those teams right now and be a key contributor. I think there were a couple things that that I thought were great. The first was he kept referring to the season as last year. Like he, the season had been over for like eighteen hours at that point, and he kept calling it last year. And for a second, I thought like he was talking about a senior year at Villanova because for everybody else, it's this season. We did clearly not a guy who's planning on basking in the glow of a successful year. Last year has been it's it's been twenty hours, man. And so I liked that. And then I liked how his response. And this gets back to what you were saying about a guy who spent time in college. I, I asked him like you know because Luke had said calling him a three and D guy is limiting. Because he can do more than that. We saw that over the last five games where it's basically just him. 20 points a night. And and he said, you know, he was told going into the draft by Jay Wright, don't let people put a label on you. And so, like, when you come up with the comps, he is going to be a better shooter than Derek Fisher. He's going to be a more versatile offensive player than Derek Fisher. He's also four inches bigger than Derek Fisher, it seems like, you know, or whatever. But some of those other things are very fishery really strong, can defend other positions because of that strength. And when you hear him start talking, then you really start to understand how valuable a guy like that will be for a Lakers team if they can get where they want to go because Hart in that locker room will become a very important Yeah, I mean, for, for, a, for a kid that spends an extraordinary amount of time playing Fortnite, yes. I mean, like he, he that kid basically does nothing but play basketball and play Fortnite. And he plays Fortnite like against the world, against his old teammates. He loves Fortnite. He's been on like Spectrum. I had only heard of, I, I did not heard of Fortnite until like three weeks no, ago. No, if you and I covered a different team, I wouldn't know what Fortnite is. But the other thing though that I noticed early with Josh Hart that signaled, you know, both intelligence and confidence is he's really funny. He's a very funny guy. And you typically don't know whether or not a rookie is funny. Because most of them aren't confident enough to even attempt to be funny. Right. You, by the way, you know who the other guy is that does that? Kuzma. Yeah. Yep. Like that's confidence. That's exactly right. You're confident enough to tell jokes. You're confident enough to rip on guys. Like they asked, yeah, on Thursday when Kuzma 
Uh, somebody asked him about being a vocal leader. He said, I have to because, you know, uh, Lonzo's, Lonzo's 14. 14 and, and B.I. hasn't said 10 words all year. Yeah. <laughs> and he was joking. Like, cause Ingram actually is. But there's a kernel a of truth to it. There's what's a little there. bit of, right. There is, but it's like, I will go out and I will rip yeah. on you. Like, I will tell that joke without worrying about, oh, are people going to misinterpret it or this, or that, or whatever. You know, Kuz has got the jokes. So it's good. Yeah, I agree. Um, all we, right. So we, there's a lot. There's just so much to like with the rookie classes had this year. And, you know, we didn't see enough of Thomas Bryant to give an evaluation. The dude tore up the G League. I, I, internally, I know they are confident about Thomas Bryant. He tore it up. So that's, that's excellent. Um, so the players, the players hit the bar. That was step one. Your young guys need to make sure they're good. We like that's that's and that's really probably the most critical part. Yes, it is. Um, and they all pass the audition. If, if they get nobody, I mean, like if they get nobody of import this off season, you know, they don't get LeBron, they don't get Paul George, Boogie, like any big name. If they don't get any of them, but they re-sign Julius Randle, this team is in good shape moving forward. No question. Um, the second step of the sort of the three that things they had to take care of was establishing. Uh, management as competent and and effective. I there were some unforced errors early. Mm-hmm. Lonzo uh, Magic's uh, level of enthusiasm for Lonzo didn't help Lonzo. It was good. It wasn't. It was and with Polinka. I mean, came, Polinka did the same thing too. Polinka, but I mean, Magic especially came from a good place. You know, they clearly loved the kid, but that was a, an unforced error. The the overemphasis on, um. Free agency and clearing space and all that created some tension that I don't think they anticipated. Like, ooh, that's going to have an impact on the guy. They they said it wasn't an issue Friday at at exit interviews. They're wrong. I mean, but would, and by the way, you know, you know that they weren't being forthright about this because the way Magic shut down that conversation when he got questions about this right. summer and about was aggressively. He aggressively yeah, we shut that. They down. play. We we work, they play. Right. That's what he said. Like, you know, it was an issue. Andrew Boga told us it was an issue. It was an issue. It was all, you could also tell it was an issue because the minute the deadline was over, they all started balling out. It was it was just the it was easier. Randall was I mean, all it all got better. So you know, I would have liked I would have preferred they say, Yeah, you know what, we, we didn't see that one coming as much. We're learning whatever. The actual stuff that they did that wasn't messaging, but the, the like the the structural things that they did they drafted really well, kept that group together that had been drafting well, and hit four. They were four for four this year. Um, and then, you know, the trade, we still have to see what happens and what comes of it. But, you know, Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson, they get the pick back. They clear the space Which was out. shocking. I was stunned. Couldn't believe they got the, a pick back for that. Stunned. Not that Clarkson's deal is an albatross, but I just didn't, no, think, I, be able, I didn't think he'd be able to get stuff back I th- for it. I thought it was being misreported. Yeah. So structurally, the stuff that they've done looks good. And I, as somebody who was uh, kind of critical of the D'Angelo Russell thing, based on what he did this year, especially with his health, I I probably, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be on the wrong. I could end up on the wrong end of that for sure. You don't know what could have happened if they kept Russell. Maybe they can get more from whatever it is. At the very least, it doesn't look necessarily, if the plan works out, which is actually what I said last year too, if the plan works out, it's fine. But they may not have – it may not be as, as bad as I thought. Um, all that stuff, they've done well. 
and the messaging that they've done in terms of trying to change the perception of the team around the league has been effective. Yeah, that little things too, like that that Rob Palinka mentioned during the exit interviews that I actually think he's correct about. You know, allowing Corey Brewer to get bought out because they didn't want to buy him out. They wanted to keep him around. They wanted, you know, he's a Corey Brewer is a great guy and he is a great teammate and he is, I think, more than any veteran in that locker room was great for the was great for the team, great for the kids. But Corey Brewer at this stage of his career wants to be playing for winning teams and wants an opportunity to go deep in the playoffs. And they they came to an agreement on that. And as Palinka said, you know, that's looking out for Corey Brewer, the human being. And, and, and the Andre Ingram thing. Andre Ingram. And look, I there are people I, I've talked about there people got a little annoyed at me for uh um pointing this out because they think it's too cynical. If you believe that the Lakers don't understand that or weren't aware of and 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 doing this in part because of the signal it sends to the rest of the league about how we will treat you as a member of our organization, a guy who has been a great player for our G League team for a couple years, shows up to work like we will reward you. And we and we, that, you know, and we understand everything Andre Ingram has been through to this point. Right. Does it help the team? Does it help the, the perception of the organization? Obviously it does. It's the, but it's also the right thing to do. It's like when people get mad when say, oh, he, he just donated that $25,000 to the children's hospital because it's good press. Well, it's also $25,000 right. that goes to a children's care? hospital. Right. You know, the kid who maybe gets better cancer treatment is, you know, I don't, I don't want that cancer. I don't want that drug because that guy only did it so people would think he's nice. Everyone, do, you there, you give to charity because it helps, or partially because it makes you feel better about yourself. I mean, I mean everyone, out you listening to this thing, you know, people do nice things in part because it's the nice thing to do. Doing good things makes you feel better. Sometimes it's to your advantage. They, but that's that's smart. It's what smart teams do that because agents, because players, because. They see it and they notice it and they remember it. And it's and, important. And it's also, I mean, it's important to remember too, because I don't disagree at all that the Lakers are cognizant of how this looks. They should for, be. Right. Of course they should be, especially as an organization that has had tons of PR problems over the last few years that they're looking to rectify. Yes, they're aware of how this makes them look and that it, it puts them in a positive light. But guess what? Andre Ingram earned this. This wasn't charity. Like, they, they didn't bring up a guy, you know, like a super fan and give him a 10-day contract. Andre Ingram busted his ass for 10 and, years and there's, in the freaking G League. And they're not, they're not bringing him back. They're not going to use a roster spot on right, him Right, but I'm just year. saying, they're, like, like they, he earned this thing. He earned, he earned that place. So, yes, if, the, if there's a little bit of, you know, if there's a lack of pure altruism on the Lakers' part, fine. It it doesn't ruin it for anybody, including Andre Ingram. Isn't stupid. You think he doesn't care? You think he cares about it? Right. So it, it it's it's great. It's great. It was God. That was such a great story. It was amazing. I I mean, and it was funny. Like we talked to him. We talked to him yesterday a little bit because he was part of a group. They brought out like Travis Ware, Gary Payton, uh, Caruso, and and Ingram at the same time. They apparently actually also all had their exit interviews at the same time. Nice. And it wasn't. I was really hoping it was one of those deals where they like. All right, Alex, here's what you need to work on. Gary, listen to what Alex, like, they just rip on. It was, apparently, it was just like, look, you guys are all welcome to the facility. Stay in shape. You know, stay in contact. No cool. no promises. Great. 
But I mean, like Ingram, the Ingram story, like he he was on Good Morning America that morning. He was so tired. We're he's not going to play in the NBA again. I'd be sh- I honestly would be shocked. So would I. And Hope I'm wrong, but I'd be I, I would very love to be surprised. Wrong, but I, I I just don't think it's going to happen. It's it was still like one of the coolest things that I got to see doing this job. Um, you just there are so few stories that are just purely good, and that was one of them. So. Yeah. And by the way, too, you and I need to step up our game now that everybody knows about Andre Ingram, because if he wants to go into broadcasting or radio or anything like that, that guy is a damn good talker with a great voice. Like everybody needs a publicist. Yeah, everybody needs. I I imagine he can get one. He's getting one now. Yeah, Yeah. everybody needs to be on notice. That guy could go into media if he wants to easily. All right, so that covers sort of the three things that we know the the, of what could make this year a success is change of perception around the league. And as much as Palinka likes to make sure we we know about it, he's right. Mm -hmm. I've heard the same thing from other people too. Um, Management look good, and I'm including Luke in there. Yes, and players look good. All good. Um, you asked a question. We were kind of throwing stuff around to talk today. How much did the injuries down the stretch hurt the team in terms of internal development and recruitment? Uh, let me do recruitment first. I think the answer to that one is not much um, because the other guys had shown at this point, the players had shown that they were good. You know, around the league, people are worried about, you know, people like us talk a lot about Lonzo's ability. I think players talk about the other stuff. Um, and they think he's gonna be good. Everybody saw what Ingram does. Everybody, everybody saw what Kuzma does. And the, the upside to those guys being out was it gave a bigger role to Kuzma, gave a bigger role to Hart. Now they looked even better. So I think the players established themselves. I think the work of the front office was all the, it helps too, by the way, that the two main guys they're going after, LeBron James and Paul George, are both currently parts of teams with their own question marks. For sure. Like if those, it, I would be a little more concerned if the Cavaliers were killing it and the Thunder were killing it. Like I would be a little more concerned about the loss of recruitment opportunity, like in that sense, but it helps. It's not ideal. It's not, it's not how you would draw it up. Ideally, Sing it off those guys it dominate all the way to the yep. end of the year. No question. They didn't get a chance to do it, but I think I think people got the point. I don't think people look at it and go, ooh, you know, we don't know what the answer is. The answer is these guys are good and they're gonna stay good. And you know if the, if LeBron doesn't join, it's because he thinks they're not good enough, quick enough, quick for enough me. yet. Or you know, he but wants I, to play somewhere. Whatever. whatever it is. But I'm saying I doubt it's because he thinks Kyle Kuzma can't play or Josh Hart or he didn't can't see enough. Right, exactly. Um, I would so I would tend to agree. For recruitment, with that. I don't think it's a big deal. And then, you know, internal development. I, people will downplay this one a little bit. I another thirty games for Lonzo would have been really helpful. I think it matters a lot, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, like, do, do I think it stunted? Do I think it stunted their development in a way that's permanent? No, no, obviously not. But it there was opportunity lost over the last like thirty or so games with guys shuffled in and out of the lineup. When you've got a core five guys that could have been playing together a lot down the stretch. Missing the opportunity to see those five play games, you know, that ultimately matter because they were up against opponents that needed to win those games. Yeah. And I think it would have been, it would have been good. It would have been helpful for management to have a chance to see what it looks like altogether. Also to see Randall with them. Right. That's my point. It's like, I think there were only, I think 10 games where all those dudes were available and starting and all that kind of stuff. I'm not even sure it was 10 games when you, if you include the Randall starting part. Um, it's not a lot. The sample size was small. They got to see him in practice and blah, blah, blah. It's not the same as a game. It's not the same as a game. And the only thing I think that really helps with that is 
the skill sets of these guys are obviously so interchangeable and don't get in the way of each other that I think you can build you get the you can you can put the pieces together in a way that works without having to see all of it because you don't go wait a minute Randall does the same thing as I, Kuzma. I was, I was just about so wait, to say. Can we play them at the same time? In, in you the, don't have that. In the past, like, you know, maybe two or three years ago, when you look at some of the young players on the Lakers, they, they, there was some versatility there, but there was also more redundancy. There's very little redundancy. There's not as much redundancy with this team. Um, so that's good. And of the two things, I would say the recruitment angle is more important than the internal development angle. Those guys can build chemistry over the summer. They can do that. And of the two, recruitment, to me at least, was damaged least. I would agree. Um, so, with that. I, so I think that's that's I would agree important. With that. So that's that's your 2017 2018 season. Nice nine game jump that would have been a little bit better had they had more players. I think, I think, they, were no, I think they could have been pushing. Wins. I think they could have been pushing 40 <laughs> wins if they had had pretty good health over the last 30 games. Right. So that's that's significant. And we'll talk as the, as the off season goes on, getting ready for the draft. We can talk about you know what does it look like next year? When this scenario, do they win, make the playoffs? If you get LeBron, all that stuff, we'll we'll get into. Um, but I want to talk about this because it was the fifth anniversary this week of the Kobe Achilles free throws. Yes. Um, it was also the second anniversary of the 60-point game that finished Kobe's career. These are like the opposite ends of the spectrum of things we look back on with Kobe and people either point to like, oh, my God, like Kobe, the dominating scoring force – or like these sort of darker moments with Kobe. I always well, it's, it, it's interesting. the The Achilles was basically the beginning of the end where you saw the sixty points. Right. Yeah. I mean, Kobe was not even. Anywhere, but I'm saying that they're, they're specific. But they're specific anymore. book. They're specific bookends. Yeah, of a right. section of Kobe's career. And I I will always talk about, and I know you've said the same thing. We've we've done it on on the Spectrum Sportsnet. I've written um, about it, before. right? And, and the the you know the, all these top ten shows and all that kind of stuff. Kobe making those free throws was the single most amazing thing I ever saw him do. It's Without my favorite question. Kobe moment. I will rank that ahead of five rings. I will Absolutely. rank that ahead of MVP eighty one. All of the accolades. It, it's it, it's the most impressive thing I saw him do in person. I, I'll take it or a step further. I'll take it a step further. It may be the most impressive thing I've personally ever seen an athlete do. And I have never seen an athlete rise to the moment under those specific extreme type of circumstances. When you think about everything Kobe was going through at that moment. Because he was 33, 34 at that point. Something like yeah, that. So like... You don't. He's at the back end of his prime. He knows exactly what happened. He knew exactly, he knew exactly what, what was going on. So beyond, you know, the the physical pain involved with this, he's already thinking about. Okay, is my career done? He he is oh fully or, aware that this may be the last moment he steps on a basketball. Or or best case scenario, I could be back out on the court, but I'm never never the same. The same. Again. But I'm saying, but like even that, right? But there was, and he said as much. I didn't know if I was like guys at 34, 33, 34, 35 don't necessarily get back on the floor after they shred their Achilles. I mean, look, Boogie Cousins is in his mid 20s. And there are people wondering. Right. And I mean, it's, it's not an apples to apples because Boogie's a big man and it's harder for a guy that size, but he's also like seven or eight years younger. Right. And when this happened to Kobe. And I just, I, to, and then on top, really quick, on yeah. top of it, Kobe has to come up with the mental focus. To hit these two free throws 
to get the Lakers into a postseason that to that point he had been killing himself in April. Lakers fans still blame Mike D'Antoni for this. He had been really Kobe, not D'Antoni. He had been killing himself to propel that team, you know, with Dwight and Steve Nash that it turned out was not fun. Um, This was not going to be fun. He had to have the mental focus to hit those two free throws to help get his team into a playoffs that he knew there was no chance in hell he'd be participating right. in. He That's so much going on at once, physically, mentally, I emotionally. I did all of this for nothing. Yeah. Like, it was just remarkable. My second favorite Kobe moment that I saw up close, that I saw live, is still is in 81. And it still isn't 62 to 61. And it still isn't the 60 point game off of theater. That was amazing. Um, was the free throws that he hit against Boston in game yeah. seven. Yeah. Because, and maybe it's just a thing, like vulnerable Kobe, hum, more, more human Kobe is much more interesting to me than superhuman Kobe. 81 point Kobe is just a sort of the heightened, you know, top end version of the Kobe we saw score fifty points, like to the point where like he had that week and a half where he was averaging fifty points a game. <laughs> that was unbelievable. And it was and like and then like the other like the game that kind of broke the streak. If I and I'll have the details kind of wrong. He scored like thirty six, and we're like eh, kind of an off. Number. And and by the way, having a front row seat for that, like you and I had, was amazing. Right, but it, he it was did unbelievable. it. It was unbelievable. But he he did it for so long. That we we almost became kind of numb well, to the fact had, it kind of started to look easy. Like, well, I guess well, shouldn't everyone be able I mean, to look, score when 40, Kobe, 50 when points Kobe a game? put up eighty one? The I remember like you and I were sitting together, and the point where Kobe was at like maybe like forty five or something in the third quarter. I remember like before I even looked up at the jumbotron and saw his exact points. I was like, is it me or does Kobe have a lot of points in this? Like it just sort of like he scored well, twenty six at the half. Right. Which, you know, for Kobe at that moment didn't seem particularly remarkable. It just, you were just like, all right, Kobe's gonna put, they were losing. Right. You're just thinking like, all right, you know, Kobe's Kobe's gonna put up 48. I've seen this before. Hope they win this game. It was, it was remarkable. But, but the free throws, because he had been kind of bad, like genuinely bad, like he said after the game, like it was, I, this moment was bigger than me. It overwhelmed him. It overwhelmed me. And, to see Kobe Bryant stand at the free throw line in Game Seven of the game that would ultimately, I think, define a lot of his—if he loses Game Seven to the Celtics, he's still one of the all-time greats. But, but we look at him differently. He lost twice to Boston, won one title without Shaq, not two, and it was against an Orlando team that, in hindsight, we're all going to look back and say wasn't great because we all think Dwight's terrible now. Um, and the route through the West you know, was, right, all these things. Not all of it fair, a lot of it revisionist, because Dwight, even if you think he's garbage now, he sure wasn't then. But that was not a great Orlando team. No, everyone expected him to be playing LeBron's team. Right, and so, you know, the t- two times he goes up against a, an elite Eastern Conference teams, he loses, and, and to Boston. How many free throws do you think Kobe has taken over the taken to to at that point in his life, in practicing games, I don't think it's an exaggeration to think five hundred thousand. I I, so, I I was thinking certainly in well into six figures. Yeah, I don't know what the number, but a lot. The amount of I mean, imagine constant, Kobe took like a thousand a day when he was three or something. <laughs> probably those are on his, on his off days, yeah. his cheat days. Mm-hmm. The amount of focus and. Mental energy and and strength and t- it took for him to 
He was exhausted. Yes, he was. To calm himself down, to focus on this thing. I am so tired. I can't move. I can't do anything. I need to make these free throws. And again, I, maybe that's not the part that's the, the, the front part of your brain, but the back part of your brain knows exactly what's on the line here. Kobe is not stupid. I think we all know that. What's at stake? Those moments for Kobe were always more amazing to me because I would like I would not have been able to even hold my arm up and try to take. I remember playing men's league baseball, you know, some you know last game of the season stuff like that. Like I'm standing on deck, and it's uh, like the last out of the playoffs or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be the guy who makes the last out in the game. Like I'm not sure if, if I don't have to bat here. So, so be it, you know, and that's in my stupid men's league game that literally nobody cares about, including us <laughs> on the team. You know, this is this, the legacy to find to be able to do that stuff to me has always been the most remarkable thing about Kobe. the thing that I remember most from those free throws, because I, I remember them vividly, was when Kobe was at the line. You know, typically, what do you hear when Kobe's at the MVP. line? MVP, MVP. For those free throws, the crowd was actually chanting Kobe. They were just going like Kobe, lifting him, Kobe. lifting him up. Like it was like a reminder. You're Kobe Bryant. Like it felt like they were reminding Kobe Bryant of who he was. Yeah, because it's the. It really is like the only time we've been to a lot of Kobe's games. It's the only time I ever recall hearing Kobe as the champion. Yeah, and and it probably MVP. happened, but it was almost always MVP. Right. I mean, cert- certainly not since Kobe became truly Kobe, the, right. the focal but point But the difference of that was, team. that wasn't Kobe. Everybody knew. Every, most of the game, we were all like, Kobe's not very good. Like, if they lose he this game... He wigged out. He was, he was terrible dribbling balls off his knees and he off his He absolutely wigged out. Right, and so uh, that was amazing. So uh, two big anniversaries for big Kobe moments. Um, the 60 points, obviously. 60 points was, just, was so cool. That was so much fun. Right, was it? People got mad because it wasn't a, like a real game in Utah when the Lakers were feeding. Who bleeping cares? Look, here's the thing. Like I've heard people say, you know, well, yeah, he scored 60 points, but he took 50 shots. This is not hyperbole when I say that, I'm, and I'm not being facetious. I'm dead serious. I did not think at that point in Kobe's career that he was physically capable of putting up 50 shots. I don't shots. think Kobe thought that either. I mean, like, 50 shots is a lot of shots. Like, you go out in your driveway unguarded, but just go through moves to put up 50 shots. Just go through moves unguarded, but put up the shots. You're going to be tired after 50 shots. Yes. Now do it with a defender even half-assing it on you after you've come up and then, you know, tear your Achilles, I guess, before this. And, let <laughs> and, him and, and miss a lot of time and right, miss exactly. some time with a knee injury. I, yeah, I mean, like, I did not think Kobe, if you had asked me which was going to happen, Kobe's going to score 60 or he's going to put up 50, 50 shots and you had to bet on one or the other. I'd I would have said 60 without the 50 shots. Oh, easily. I would have thought, like, you know, he gets on one of those crazy rolls where he hits, like, nine threes, and, you know, they're going to send the line a bunch of times because this is last night, and he'll somehow eke out 60 that way. I didn't think he could put up 50 shots. Um, all right, so there's some, uh, I don't know, gr- that gratuitous Kobe talk? I don't know. Yeah. Everybody says we're haters. We're not haters. No. We're appreciators. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about the playoffs because they're here. Lakers aren't playing in it. Might be next year, but not now. I think they could. Um, let's let's just kind of go through some categories here of things that you're like. Like, is there a lot of series? And then again, we can pick some winners and losers and stuff. Um, what is the most intriguing storyline for you in these playoffs? I mean, locally, it's the Thunder <laughs> because you know everyone's 
trying to, you know, play armchair psychiatrist, reading Paul George's body language game by game, figuring out everything with the Thunder does. We are on the same page here. But nationally, it's LeBron and how the Cavaliers do because right. he is the NBA's North Star. Right. And the cat, so I call this category tea leaves. Yes. How blank result influences blanks free agency. Yeah. I mean, the Cavaliers, Playoff success and or failure could be the ultimate force that causes every domino to fall in a particular direction. Sure, but it's not even just Cleveland. Because also, too, it's like everything you consider. Well, look, wait, if Cleveland wins, it's easier for LeBron to leave in a lot of ways. But you could also say it's harder. Or Houston's success or failure. If Houston gets to the NBA Finals and it's either maybe they lose to LeBron or whatever it might be. Like... That does that. How does that influence it? Like, if Houston loses to Golden State, they don't even get there. Now it's more likely, it seems to me, that LeBron goes. Like they say, what we can't get past Golden State. We got to do something extreme here. Daryl Morey, I'm I'm sure, has a spreadsheet where it's already figured out how he's going to move the pieces to get LeBron to Houston. Does it? LeBron wants to go there. He goes to Houston, and that's it. But if what if Houston wins a title? Now LeBron can't go to like you can't go now, right? I don't know. I mean, I mean sort of do the Durant thing. I, I don't suppose. know. I mean, I brought this up to you a couple days ago when we were doing post game, and I said if the Sixers took out the Cavaliers, LeBron can't. Can LeBron join the team that just beat him? And you said sure he can. He can do whatever he wants. He's LeBron. Uh, but it's different because I'm, when we're talking about that team, if Philly wins a title, maybe not. But I, it's different if Houston goes and wins a title. Plus, because I, I, I wonder if it makes it less likely that Daryl Morey would do the and it is Daryl Morey is going to go after LeBron if he can get LeBron. If it, but it's an extreme thing. It's it like, is an you extreme. Got, you are blowing it up. It, it, you know what? If you keep James Harden and you keep Chris Paul and you somehow okay. figure out Clint Capella with LeBron, it's I not that extreme. That, right, that's true. I mean, that's that's pretty damn good what you're looking no to build around. No disrespect to P.J. Tucker. Right. I mean, P.J. Tucker, you know, we love Trevor Ariza, sure. but like if those are the guys that you ultimately have to sacrifice to keep those three and add LeBron. Can keep Capella? I don't know. I, it's too complicated. But but the bottom line, tea leaves. All of these things, and, and because, because, and we'll get to this, but because most people still expect Cleveland versus Golden State, ultimately, all these other things yeah. are are really what we're watching because, like I said, what if Oklahoma City loses like right away? Does that make it like do do Russ and Paul George have some sort of like heart to heart afterwards? Like, come on, man, we got to try that. We we can make this work. It was too unsatisfactory. You can't leave. I don't know, um, and it's going to freak people out. Uh, most intriguing series: uh, Sixers Heat. I agree. J- just because In the first round for sure. You know, there's there's the narrative that you have to pay your dues, and the people who don't believe in the Sixers maybe getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, which I do think is potentially possible for this team or even the ones who think that particularly the, since they're they're in the Boston side yes. not the Cleveland Toronto yep. side. Yep. Um there are people who you know who think that that Philly could get pushed to 7 games or maybe even upset by a Miami team that is that doesn't have the the best talent. You know, Philly's got much better talent but, but they're Miami more has tons of experience. They've got a really good coach. Great coach. And whole group of dudes who right. have done this before, and Embiid's not playing for at least the first game. Right. Exactly. So, you know, for the people who don't believe in the Sixers being able to advance before paying their dues, this this could lay the template. And for the people like me who think the Sixers are so talented, it doesn't matter. I think the I actually think the Sixers without Embiid are going to beat the Heat pretty easily. I I, I think they probably will. Um, and then in the West, I think it's it's OKC Utah. Um, that to me is the one. Not just because of the tea leaves, although tea leaves, um, but then also like Quinn Snyder getting a chance to game plan against that talent 
group, um, I think is interesting to me. Like how Westbrook approaches a series against Rudy Gobert. I looked it up and I didn't, I guess I could have gotten really into it, but like I, he was efficient this year against Utah, but only averaged 22 points a game. I didn't look to see like which games were with Gobert, which were without. Well, last I, year I though, have I he was inefficient, shot under 40%. But scored 35 points a game against Utah. I have a stat, uh, about Westbrook versus Gobert. Ooh, and, very good. and thank you. Credit to the ringer. I heard it on the ringer podcast. Uh, I want to say it was Kevin O'Connor who provided the stat. Um, guy we're trying to actually get on our podcast, but, uh, Russell Westbrook was, I, I think went to the rack 10% less against Rudy Gobert than his average. Okay. So Which he, is, by the way, probably, Fifty percent more than normal people don't go to the rack sure. against Rudy Gobert. But, but the point being, though, even Russell Westbrook thinks twice about going to the rack against Rudy Gobert. So I, I want to see that. And then, like, where do you think? Not to get too far sidetracked here, but where do you think Quinn Snyder lands in Coach of the Year? Because I, of all the awards, LeBron made a late push in MVP. I think that's can make it a little more tricky. But Harden's going to win. Um, you know, Rookie of the Year. Donovan Mitchell made a push. Ben Simmons is going to win. I think so too. Um, unless people just decide that the rule isn't fair, but I don't. I think Simmons is going to win that. Sixth man, I guess, is a, a debate, but most people don't care that much I think about it's that be award. Lou Williams could be. I, I don't know. I think the consensus is Lou's going to win. Maybe, but nobody. But Basically, also, as, a, as a way of saying sorry, we didn't put you on the All Star. Right. Team. It's but it's also sort of one of those awards that nobody. I mean, right. Coach of the. I don't think there's ever been a season where Coach of the Year. Good luck figuring that one out. Like Quinn Snyder, uh, Brad Stevens, Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey, um, Eric Spolster, Eric Spolster, Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich got you know squeezed forty six or forty seven wins out of a Spurs team that was missing its best player. And when you start to look at this, doesn't have a whole lot of talent outside of of Lamarcus Aldridge. Mike D'Antoni is the reigning coach of the year, but right. how do you penalize him with a team that did better than right. last year? Did better than last year. They got Chris Paul and, and uh James Harden on the same page pretty much immediately. You know who gets zero talk? Brett Brown. Brett gets Brown gets no talk as if it's just easy because you have Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to take a team and have it win 16 games in a row at the end of the year and jump up from 30-something wins to 51. Look, like I said earlier in this year, I think the only thing that kept Luke Walton from ending up in that discussion is his team's lack of health. But, he, but if, let's say the Lakers finish 40 and 42, 41 and 41. He doesn't have a, he's, he doesn't have a prayer of winning. Yeah, I guess thing. maybe this year he wouldn't. Any but other year he would. There are six or seven or eight guys that I could, okay, yeah, that you guy, know, sure. I, I, Why, Terry Stotts, nobody, Terry Stotts nobody thought terrific. Portland was going to be this good. Nope. They're three, they're a three seed. Terry Stotts is Terry Stotts, really nobody, good. no, Terry Stotts is going to get maybe one vote. I think it was either, it was nobody's going to vote. It was either Arnovitz or Zach Lowe who said this on the most recent, uh, low post podcast with Arnovitz as the guest. There's just been a lot of really good coaching this year. Right. And like the coaching this year has been exceptional. It also exposes how the award is kind of a weird one in terms of how we think. Like, we're reminded, wait, Phil Jackson only, so we penalize guys for having good talent and winning with good talent as if that's easy. Like we've seen with the Warriors this year. Steve Kerr has had to coach a lot this year to kind of keep that team together. And it's not easy. No. Uh, coaching re- elite teams is not easy. Or you have to, you know, you have teams that maybe we just thought didn't realize how good they might be. Yeah. Like and, Yusuf Nurkic made a huge difference to Portland down the stretch last year. They've kind of carried that momentum into this year. They've got Nurkic and Lillard, who's 
been amazeballs this year and McCollum and like some good players around there, but we didn't think they were going to be this good. And therefore I, I don't know. And then Quinn Snyder's coaches ass off, obviously. I think if I had to guess, I think Dwayne Casey's going to win. But that's if a I, weird one because actually Toronto has kind of done what a lot of people thought they would right, do. Right, but they've done it differently. They've made so many adjustments this year and they changed the way that they play. They use that bench the, more. The way that they dialing the, back exactly. Kyle Lowry. Dwayne, sure. Dwayne Casey as a coach has adjusted a lot. So I think in a lot of ways he's going to be rewarded. And it's a good story. And it's a great story. A guy of a guy who sort of thought of that sort of afterthought, not a, a superstar coach. And okay, another name. Another name. A guy that, frankly, isn't, I think, well thought of a lot by media when it comes to coaches, but has done a terrific job this year. Nate McMillan in Indiana. Oh, yeah, by the way. <laughs> I mean, nobody thought that team was going okay. anywhere. So there you go. Again, it's been a really good year for coaches. I would also like to point out, and I, I definitely don't want to dive too deep into this, Russell Westbrook won the the MVP last year essentially if you believe the media, you know, sort of through line because he averaged a triple double and you just can't deny Certainly that. Certainly played a role. He averaged a triple double this year. He is not going to get a single MVP vote. I think the reason is be, there's a there, it's twofold. A, what have you done for me lately? We get bored easily. No I mean, like a, as a collective, I don't mean media, I just mean culture. We get bored easily. B, this year I think it seems less impressive because he was given Paul George, right, so Mello joined Stephen Adams has been better. Not that good, right? Now I know, but he, but he's a name. Although if you look, if you look though at his numbers, he's doing it more efficiently this year. Well, yeah, if you can't do it more efficiently with those guys around you, but I'm just saying on, it man. should. But it should matter though. Like he's been more ju- he's been more judicious in his shot selection. All you know, I'm, I mean, all I'm saying it to quote the great Jackie Childs. The rules seem capricious and arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean that's all I'm saying. Um, so. That's that. And, uh, all right. So, um, do you have breakout players? Yeah, you, you put that on your list. I don't. I don't have any of my man. You have anybody you want to mention as a a guy to watch? I think, uh, the, no. I think in this first round, the, the, you mentioned Philly. Um, well, I mean, Philly, I, uh, Miami. I'm. Cu- I, this could be a series where people actually realize that Robert Covington is a thing. Okay. So I, I guess I'm. He's been a story all year. As far as breaking out, I'm curious to see how Donovan Mitchell plays in the playoffs. Me too. Because it's it's a different. It's a different animal in the playoffs. Particularly when he's going to be matched up a lot against Russ, who yep. isn't a great defender, but he gets all angry. He could also get, you know, you know. could be matched up a lot against Paul George. Sure. Um, so. Who is going to be locked in. So that'll yep. be fun to watch. Um, I hope, I hope Utah wins, mostly because I love kind of the concept of Utah getting through. Um, but anyway, let's do some predictions. What, Andy, would you consider to be a semi-bold prediction for the, the playoffs? The Cavs are not coming out of the East. See, that's – what is your bold prediction? It's going to be – wait till you hear it. It's the, My bold one is bold. Well, I want to hear, I want to go straight to your bold prediction because your semi-bold prediction may be bolder than my bold I guess prediction. it doesn't feel that bold My to me. bold prediction is that we will not have a repeat of the last three finals. Oh, I think we're not going to. Which by feels definition. to me like a lot of – that's is that that's a reasonably well, I guess bold maybe prediction. to me it only feels semi-bold saying <laughs> that because I've been saying that – You got like the Bucks in the final? What's well, no, but I've here? been saying all year that I don't think the Cavaliers are coming out. I think um, it's either going to be Philly or it's going to be Toronto. And my guess is my prediction see, I'm is much, Toronto. I'm, much, I'm, I'm on the other side of it. Well, I actually think I'm much more confident now in, in Cleveland coming out because Boston's not a thing anymore. Washington completely fell off. And I think in the Eastern Conference Finals, if it got to that, um, LeBron versus those guys 
with a healthy Kevin Love and all that, I, I would still pick Philly. It feels too oh, I'm sorry, Cleveland. It, it just feels too much to me like the mistakes we've made in the past of saying, well, as you know, as long as you have LeBron, as long as you have No, Kobe, you're right. The the the, the, the when, I mean defensively when, the Cavs have been trash all year yes. long and we've been ignoring it all year long. My bigger thing is I don't know if these teams are quite good enough to take okay. advantage. But I think you know, is everybody like eighty percent sure that LeBron's getting through? No, it's more like fifty five forty five. Okay. I guess then my bold prediction, All right, the Warriors will lose in the second round of the playoffs to the New Orleans Pelicans. That is that is my That's bold, crazy bold. That is my bold that is legit I think <laughs> <laughs> um, It's a bold prediction. I think you know when people say that all the time, like Oh, that's that's just a hot taker. It's not really a thing. And you and I that are is not, a legitimate bold take. You and I are not hot take dudes. No. But this is the reason why. This is worthy of an air raid siren. This is the reason why. Steph, you know, we know he's not going to play in the first round. We don't know if he's going to be back in the second round. But if he's going to be back, Steph may not look like himself. True. And the Warriors are a drastically different team when Steph is not, you know, forget not available, when he's just not 100%. When Steph doesn't play like Steph, they are a very different team. And then in the meantime, Anthony Davis's Numbers against the Warriors. 33 points, 14 rebounds, nearly four assists a game, over two blocks, nearly two steals, 60% from the field, 43% from three, a true shooting percentage of 64% of teams that have played three or more times, the Pelicans have played three or more times, Anthony Davis only had a better field goal percentage, 65% against Portland, who is playing in the first round, and the only team with better overall numbers was the Lakers and anybody who's watched okay, the Lakers those, and Pelicans? Give me those Anthony Davis versus Golden State numbers again. I'm going to Google that and see if it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and Davis has done really well against Golden State. The team is one and two against uh, the Warriors, but that was really at the front of the year when they were figuring out a lot with Boogie. The last time they played the Warriors, they beat them. And there's a lot going on with the Warriors that just feels like the 2011 Lakers. Again, going back. To well, that. the difference, the, the difference is that's mostly health related because the Warriors were still a top. But they're bored too. They're, they're bored, bored and they think they're fried. But they were a bored. I do think they're they fried. Were, they're bored as a top 10, still a top 10 offense, still a top 10 sure. defense. The difference was the Lakers were not that all year no, long. No, I, I Lakers understand perf- that. Underperformed all year long. I understand that. But, but I, the but I thing, do think they're fried. I think they're fried though. That's the thing, and it just—it's really hard. It's hard to get to the finals four years. Yes, in a row. it is. LeBron, this will be his eighth trip, eighth straight, right? If he gets there this yes. year, yes. That is freaking bananas. That's two presidencies. I mean, think about that. That is a two-term president that LeBron would spend Every going to the finals year. Um, so I, I, I definitely agree that we won't have a a Cavs Warriors final. But I actually, I'm, I'm, I am more suspicious of the Warriors' interest. So, who do you think it's going to be? Uh, Rockets, Houston. Cavs. I think it'll be Rockets, Cavs. Okay. Um, oh, but if it's not Rockets, Cavs, oof, I don't know. I want. I've I want, got either Rockets, Raptors, or Rockets, Sixers. Yeah, that's interesting. It'd be neat to see the Raptors get there. Uh, the NBA won't like it. No, no, they will not. But everyone else will find it interesting, I guess, or some basketball honks will. All right. Let's I also, th- I also think too, really quickly, that the that the Pelicans can match up. Well, too, against the, the Warriors guards. You know, they've got, they, Drew Holiday can play good defense. Rondo has resuscitated himself this year. Yeah. He's playing much better. I, I, I think they'll have options against those guys. And Anthony Davis has just been insane this year. You know how, you know how you say like often the team with the best player, uh, ends up winning the series. You can make an argument is that, yeah. that, 
New Orleans will have the, the best, best player, player no question. in Anthony Davis. All right, so let's do it this way. Uh, we'll do it like rock, paper, scissors style. I'll go one, two, three, and we'll say the name of the team that we think is going to win. And then we'll say how many games. How many games? All right. Okay. So let's start in the Eastern Conference. Toronto okay. versus Washington. One, two, three. Raptors. Toronto. Oh, do we say team name or do we say, we can say either one. city or name? City doesn't matter. Okay. People got the point. Uh, Raptors in five. I have Raptors in four. I think Washington is folding up the table. They really home. are, man. Uh, but no more than five. Cleveland, Indiana. One, two, three. Cleveland. Cleveland. Uh, I'll say five. Uh, I can Gentlemen's that. sweep. Sure. Uh, Philly, Miami. One, two, three. Philly. Philly. Uh, I'll say Philly in, I'll say Philly in six. I have it in six as well. Boston, Milwaukee. One, two, three, Milwaukee. Boston. Really? Yes. Really? I think Milwaukee gets their act together, um, and gets through Boston. No Marcus Smart. No yes. Kyrie. Seven games. Now this is really, uh, how good a coach is, is Joe Prunty? I don't know who is Joe Prunty. <laughs> Isn't that how you say the guy's name? No, it is. I'm just saying who the hell is that Because guy? again, seven games to game plan against a team that, you know, we don't kind of know what they can do. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think it's seven games. I think it's um, Boston in seven. I think it's Milwaukee in seven. So obviously we think it's there kind of go. a coin flip. Uh, Houston, Minnesota. One, two, three. Houston. Houston I'll five. Say five. Uh, OKC, Utah. One, two, three. Thunder. Utah. I'm going to say Thunder in seven. I have Utah in seven. Interesting. I really don't have a lot of confidence. Again, I told you before, I really, my heart is much more in this, uh, this Utah pick, but they were the second best team in the NBA. Down the stretch, that is not a team you wanted to play, man. They played 35 games this year as the second best team in the NBA. That's a pretty large sample size. I just worry about in the playoffs, a team, this is one of those great conversations. If you're a team that doesn't, you know, you slow, you already play slow. Um, you already are a great defensive team. You already do those things. But sometimes you look at that and go, where are the points going to come from? Is that better to be that team already or a team that kind of gets up and down the floor and scores a lot? And defensively, you kind of go, eh, I'm not sure. Um, Utah sort of feels like they play playoff style basketball already, but they've never really done it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. Portland, New Orleans. Well, I know what you're going to say. One, two, three. Portland. New Orleans, six. I have Portland, seven. Golden State, San Antonio. One, two, three. Golden, Golden State, State and five. Five. Yeah. All right. That's our first round. Prediction. There you go. I think it's going to be a fun playoffs, though. I agree, but I, I really I, do. It I feels like wanna, there's more mystery wanna, than in the last few years. I just want to reiterate. CJ, can you uh, bring back up our, our screen here? I just I feel like this is worthy. <laughs> one more, like, what Andy has said. Man, here. I went bold. We decided we would make a bold prediction. No, it is. Predi- you know, that's a bold prediction. Those are Pelicans, not Pelicans. They are Pelicans. show up in the second round. Yeah. By the way, you are screwed on that prediction if my if my part is correct. I mean, to make it much harder if uh, Portland wins that opening series. Oh, well. All right. Anywho. It's not a lie if you believe it. <laughs> I, I ain't lying, man. This is my bold prediction that I reasonably believe. Yeah, I kind of believe what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not a lie if you believe it. Exactly. Words to live by. All right, we'll see everybody next time.